All right, continuing our study of Paul's letter to the Romans in this session, we will be in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to the end of the chapter, verse 32. After the initial statement of the thesis to the letter in chapter 1, 16 and 17 that we looked at in our last session, here Paul launches into the body of the letter by pronouncing that the wrath of God is revealed against all the unrighteousness and wickedness of men. It's a little bit jolting and a little bit startling, and at least should be to us, because Paul has just said that he wants to proclaim the gospel, the good news. And he begins then, really, his portrayal of the good news in Romans with this statement about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of men. And from 118 all the way up through 320, Paul is displaying how all people, regardless of their background, stand under the wrath of God. They stand under uh, the condemnation and the just repayment of God for their wickedness, for their faithlessness, for their disobedience to God. It doesn't matter whether they're an out-and-out immoral pagan or even a decent pagan or a Jew. Everyone, regardless of their background and where they've come from, are condemned before God. That's the point Paul is going to make from 118 through 320. The section we're in here, 118 through 32, is the first section in that case against mankind. And here in 118 through 32, Paul is going to speak specifically about the immoral pagan, demonstrating how the complete immoral pagan stands justly condemned before God. And because of that, the immoral pagan himself needs the righteousness of God that is by faith in the Messiah, just as everyone else does, is what Paul is going to ultimately say as he builds this case against mankind beginning here. Now, before we look at the details of this paragraph, just one note on structure. The movement of this passage is carried forward by the refrain, God gave them over. You see that in 124, 126, and 128. Skim down through your, your Bible and just note that, that saying, God gave them over. And that saying is combined with the phrase, they exchanged, they exchanged, they exchanged. The point seems to be this, that they exchanged refers to humans choosing to go their own way, choosing, in fact, a God of their own making instead of the one true God. And as a result of this exchange, this choosing something other than the one true God, God gives them over to what they want. God hands them over. And in the overall context of the section, where we're talking about God displaying his wrath and his condemnation, pouring that out on mankind because of their wickedness, it it seems to be the case that God giving them over to what they want is an expression of his wrath, his just repayment. Oh, you want? Well, then you can have it. And the more you have it, the darker and the worse it's going to be for you. And that's part of God's way of expressing his wrath is by giving people what they want. And then it turns out to be awful more than they ever imagined. 
And so this paragraph then is carried forward in this way with mankind exchanging the the glory of God for a God of their own making, and then God handing them over to what they want, to their own choices and their own decisions. The basic idea is God really allowing them to reap what they sow. In fact, Um, He's not just giving them something they didn't ask for. He's giving them the very thing they wanted. And thus the punishment not only fits the crime, but directly results from the crime as well, in the words of N.T. Wright in his commentary on Romans. Okay, with that, let's look at some of the details of this section. The first portion of it, verses 18 through 23, really describes the why behind God's wrath. Why is God's wrath being poured out? And what Paul describes in these verses is mankind's flight from God, how he is running from God and choosing idolatry over the one true God. And that's the basic reason why God's wrath is being poured out against him. Let me read it to you. Verses 18 through 23 of Romans chapter 1. It reads like this. For, notice that, for, Paul is, again, just logically building his case. It's growing out of, uh, really, the gospel being on the basis of faith. Why is that? Well, it's because there's a problem with God. There's the wrath of God. So, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Why? Well, since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so the basic point, as I noted, is that mankind is culpable for his rejection of God. It's not like God was so hidden man couldn't know him. No, mankind has suppressed the truth about God and has fled from God, and this has led him into adultery. So let's walk down through the details of this section. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So we already talked about God's wrath. God's wrath refers to God's just repayment for sin. It's not the fact that God is fickle and unpredictable. Some days he's in a good mood. Some days he's in a bad mood. That's not the point. The wrath of God in Scripture refers to God's just repayment for sin. It is something that it takes a long time for God to finally say, enough's enough, and pour out his wrath. It's uh, God basically saying, okay, you have revolted and you have rebelled long enough And now I have to hold you accountable for your actions for the sake of your well-being, for the sake of my creation. And so, and really for the sake of God's good name. So the wrath of God is God's just repayment for mankind's wrongdoing. And so he says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, catch this, suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice that, that the truth is available to them. It's not as if they couldn't find it. They're pushing it down. They're suppressing it. They're squelching it. They're hiding it. They're covering it up in themselves and from others. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That the truth is 
is available. It's evident. As Paul goes on to explain in verse 19, he says, because, here's what he means by they suppress the truth, because that which is known about God is evident within them, probably better among them. The word translated within could mean within or among. So think among them. It's the that which is known about God is evident among them. It's evident among us as, as human beings. It's evident in this world. That which is known about God is evident among them. Why? Because God made it evident to them. God has made himself evident to them. In fact, historically speaking, it's why virtually every culture and the vast majority of mankind throughout history have believed in some sort of divine being or beings, right? That they recognize there's got to be something beyond this world that brought all this into existence. There's got to be something that made all of this. That's where Paul goes in verse 24. Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is God's invisible attributes. So yes, God is invisible, but since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, and Paul names the two that he's thinking of, his eternal power and his divine nature. And so God's eternal power and the fact that he is God, divine nature, that there's some sort of divinity, just those two bare minimum facts about God should be obvious from creation around us. So since the creation of the world, God's Power and godness have been clearly seen. They're evident, they're obvious, being understood through what has been made so that mankind is without excuse. That choosing not to believe, at least in some bare minimum idea of God, makes us guilty. We're without excuse for that. It, it should be obvious. It should be evident that there's some sort of God, that creation itself cannot testify to its own existence. It cannot explain its own existence. Uh, just philosophically and logically, from nothing, nothing comes. So if there was nothing, there would be nothing. But the fact that there is something, i.e. the creation, there has to be something or someone behind that that got that started. Um, and so and then when you look at the vast complexity in nature and all of that, that speaks to the power and the wisdom, the divine nature of whatever it is, whoever it is that's behind all of this. And hence the reason, increasingly, scientists are coming to recognize that there's some sort of mind behind creation because creation itself speaks and points towards some sort of great, powerful, wise mind behind it all. And that's his point here, is that creation itself speaks to the very existence of God, and yet mankind has repeatedly pushed down and suppressed the true knowledge of this God, and they've chosen to worship the creation itself. They've chosen to worship other things. They've chosen to go their own way rather than follow what they know about God. And as a result of that suppressing the truth about God, Paul goes on to say in verse 21, they didn't even give him the bare minimum response that a creature should give to his creator. Verse 21 says, For even though they knew God, so they have this knowledge about God that's evident in creation, it's obvious that there is some sort of creator, which means there should be some bare minimum response to him, and they didn't even do that. Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. I mean, that's like our bare minimum response to our creator, simply to honor him as our maker, honor him as God, 
and give him thanks for existence, give him thanks for the good world he's made, and mankind hasn't even done that. But they became futile, the second half of verse 21 says. They became futile. They became empty. They became useless, right? They became fruitless in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And so the the further they went in their rejection of God, the further they went in pushing down the knowledge of God, the further they ran from God, the darker life became. The darker their understanding, the light started to go out in their mind and it became harder for them to see the truth. It became harder for them to understand God, harder for them to grasp God. They're futile. They were futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Paul says, professing to be wise. Oh, they claim to be so smart. They claim to know so much. They claim to be so understanding. They profess to be wise, and yet they became fools. And they exchanged, there's the first phrase, This they exchanged, they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, the glory of this eternal, incorruptible, beautiful God. They exchanged that for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And so here you have the immortal, eternal, incorruptible God who cannot die, who can never uh, decay or wear out. And mankind exchanged the honoring of him, and instead they, they worshiped created things. They made an image. They made an idol or an image of corruptible man. They they are all into corruptible human beings or birds or for things that die and decay and go away. They would rather worship that than God himself. And so they began to worship the creation and the creature rather than the creator himself. Well, how did God respond to that? Well, verse 24, we get the first of these God gave them over phrases. And so it says, therefore, because of their rejection of God, their flight from God, they're choosing idolatry over God and worshiping creatures rather than the creator. Because of that, therefore, God gave them over. It's not like God's being unjust. They don't want God. They want to go their own way. God hands them over to their own choices. God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. And lust just means desires. So God gave them over in the desires of their hearts to what they wanted. This is what you want. This is what you can have to impurity, to uncleanness, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. So they, they would experience the dishonor in their bodies among them for they exchanged. We get that phrase again for they exchanged the truth of God for and it's translated here, a lie, bad translation. There's, a, there's an article, definitive article before that. So it's the lie. They exchange the truth of God for the lie, not just any old lie, the lie, the great lie that God didn't exist, the lie of idolatry. Let's worship the creation. Let's worship the creature rather than the creator. They exchange the truth about God for the great lie of idolatry, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so the fundamental problem with humanity and the basic reason God's wrath is being poured out is because mankind's flight from God and choosing to worship the cre creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. And so idolatry is the great lie, 
and it is the root cause of all of mankind's problems. Now, Paul then goes on in verses 26 and 27 to give a specific example, something that kind of grows out of this flight from God. Here is an example of what happens when people flee from God, choose idolatry, go their own way, when cultures go their own way. And what he goes into, this is going to be tough for us to hear in the modern context, is he goes into homosexual behavior. Paul's point is that homosexual behavior is actually uh, an uh, evidence of, an example of the dishonorable passions and human degradation that results from rejecting the truth about God and believing the lie and pursuing that. When cultures go that way, homosexual behavior follows suit. And in Paul's world, homosexual behavior was all over the place. It was quite rampant in the Greco-Roman world. In fact, in the Greek culture, in some cases, certain expressions of homosexual homosexual behavior was almost made out to be a virtue. And so it was widespread, well-known. And Paul's point is that that passion, that behavior, it's really important we emphasize the word behavior with this, that behavior is an example of the dishonorable passion and human degradation that results from rejecting the truth about God and instead believing the lie and worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Here's what Paul says in verses 26 and 27. He says, for this reason, again, for the reason of fleeing from God, believing the lie, worshiping the creature, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. God handed them over. It's like, okay, you you want this evilness? You want uh, degrading passions? You want to go your own way? You don't want to follow the way I designed you to function? All right, I'll hand you over to those degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their heir. He's clearly talking about homosexual behavior. Notice the emphasis on the behavior, committing indecent acts, right? Um, And burning in their passions for one another, leading them to indecent acts and receiving in their own persons. He's talking about homosexual behavior in this this passion. He says that they exchange the natural function, meaning the natural function of heterosexual uh, behavior, heterosexual sex. Um, Clearly in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, man brought Um, man to woman and woman to man. That was the way God designed things to work. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman, burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts. So he's talking about things that are against nature, contrary contrary to nature. The phrase in Greek is paraphusin, against nature. This is a very important phrase. And probably the best study I could recommend for you on it is in a book called People to be Loved by a scholar named Preston Sprinkle. People to be Loved. I'll put a link actually in the notes that you can check that out. It's got a thorough study of this section uh, dealing with homosexual behavior and how Christians should respond to that, how we should understand that biblically. Um, He's also got some of the other major passages on that as well. It's a great study. So People to be Loved. I'll put a link to that in the notes below. But paraphusin simply refers to the way God intended by virtue of his design, uh, 
um, human sexuality to operate. So parafusin refers against God's design, against the design of nature. In fact, this phrase parafusin was used in uh, moral writings and philosophical writings of the Greco-Roman world condemning homosexual behavior. For those that actually did condemn it, even if they were um, not Jews, even if they were pagan moralists, there were certain condemnations of it. They often use this phrase, parafusin, to simply refer to it's not the way things are designed to work. It's against the, the way nature has designed things to function in Jewish thinking and Paul's thinking as somebody rooted in the biblical worldview, that's against God's design, against the way God designed sex and sexuality to be practiced and to work. And so when Paul says God handed them over to degrading passions, they exchanged the natural function for that which is parafusin against nature. What he's saying is, um, he's saying that they are going against God's design, um, the natural order of things as ordained by God. To, again, in his commentary on Romans, he says Paul's argument is that the existence of homosexual practice in a culture is a sign that that culture as a whole has been worshiping idols and that its God-given male and female order is being fractured as a result. And so when cultures flee from God and choose idolatry, one expression of that, one way it begins to manifest itself is in homosexual practice. That's the point here in context in Romans chapter 1. From there then in verse 28, Paul one last time repeats the refrain that God gave them over and then he rattles off a a catalog of destructive behaviors that follow from the human flight from God. Let me read it to you, Romans 1, 28 through 32. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are, are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. Malice refers to just ill will and hostility and hatred. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil. Notice that phrase, inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents gets thrown into this massive list. Like disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same thing, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. This is just sort of a catalog of the kinds of things that emerge within a culture that has been practicing idolatry, that is worshiping the creature rather than the creator. It's Paul's way of just throwing the net wide and saying, look, the out-and-out -out immoral pagan stands justly condemned because of their flight from God and the way that's manifested then in their behavior. So Paul paints with a broad brush the kind of sewage that percolates in the human heart and bubbles over into relationships and in the world when they reject God, when they don't submit to God, when they go their own way and they pursue their own passions. This is the stuff that fractures our world, destroys relationships, shows up in the news, and makes life so hard, so difficult, so burdensome for us. 
And remember that it stems from mankind's flight from God and the desire to go their own way and worship the creature rather than the creator. So let's wrap up this section with just a few concluding observations. The first is just human depravity, that this section really describes mankind's depravity, his brokenness, his wrongness, the the corruption of the human operating system that leads to misbehavior, wrong behavior, and destruction in within cultures. And frankly, Human depravity is the easiest biblical doctrine to prove. Just read the news, right? Just watch what happens in people's lives. Like, we don't have to guess that humans are broken and don't work right. Look at the self-help section at your local bookstore on Amazon Books and see how many thousands of books are being written trying to solve human depravity and human brokenness. That it's just the easiest biblical doctrine to prove. And according to Romans chapter 1, What's the source of it? What's the origin of depravity, of wickedness, of our brokenness? Well, the origin of it is mankind's flight from God. With our rejection of God and our worship of created things, that's what leads to our brokenness and our wrongness. And so that's our real problem. Our real problem isn't so much sinful behavior and breaking the rules as it is severing ourselves from God. It's it's revolt. It's insubordination. It's alienation from God, who is our true good. And so what Paul does for us here in Romans chapter 1, he diagnoses the root cause of our problem. The, The root cause is rejecting God. Behaviors are simply symptoms of that. They're expressions of this fundamental human problem. If we're going to present the gospel which we present as the solution to the human problem. If we're going to present the gospel well, then we must be sure to identify the problem accurately. And the problem isn't you know, just breaking rules or being bad. The problem ultimately is our flight from God. That's the ultimate source of human depravity. One other little reflection before we leave this section, and that is God's wrath. As we noted, God's wrath is his just repayment for our wrongdoing. It's not capricious. It's not unpredictable. It's not driven by a bad mood. It's motivated by justice, right? By God wanting to do what's right. Um, And thus it is really a just repayment. And ultimately, God's wrath is intended to set things right. If you are going to If you're going to set things right, you have to remove what's wrong, and God's wrath does that. And so God's wrath is both an expression of both his holiness and his love. It's his holiness because God is so holy, so pure, so beyond the pale of corruption that he necessarily responds to sin with justice. Like, this is wrong and this must be dealt with. Uh, I must put this right. It's that desire within God because of his absolute purity and absolute holiness that longs to put things right. But God's wrath is also an expression of his love because his love motivates this reaction. I can't stand by and let you ruin this yourself and ruin other people and ruin the good world. I've got to set this right. And so God, being both holy and love, responds to brokenness and wrongdoing and wickedness and evil with wrath, which is his desire to remove all that's wrong from the world and make everything right the way it's supposed to be. And thus, God's wrath 
though terrifying and frightening on one hand, is something to be celebrated on the other hand because it's it's God's desire and God's action to make the world right again. 